Hey everyone, it's Bird. Uh, before we get started on this newest episode, I wanted to bring to our attention a poll that we're currently running on our Facebook site and we've posted on various forums and groups asking you guys out there in podcast land to uh, take a quick survey and rank the Godzilla series. Uh, we want to kind of you know, just figured, uh, you know, it might be fun to see who likes what movies and, uh, you know, any age groups, demographics uh, that that think one way or another. And we want to talk about that in a future episode uh, that is um, on our Facebook page. And um, uh, also, just real quick, uh, from now through, I think the end of March, we will be going weekly. Uh, because we will be doing a lot of episodes ramping up to both the new King Kong film and the new Power Rangers film. Uh, so uh, check out that poll. Keep listening. Thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, also, one last thing. Matt and I will be making an appearance on the Kaiju Cast uh, live emergency end of the year show this coming Sunday. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's the 29th uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Eastern. Matt and I will be uh, doing a segment on there, and it's it'll be a live uh, a live podcast, and there'll be a, a chat, a live chat, and um, and it, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, go to the Kaiju Cast page uh, for more information about that. Um, and also, just before we get uh, started, just another big thanks to Norman for taking the time out of his uh, out of his week to call in from across the 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 world and and talk to bum a couple bums like me and matt about this stuff um and uh super cool super down-to-earth guy and norman uh you know he he loves to talk and tell stories so uh, i i i did the best i could in finding a, a good place trying to find a good place to end this episode but it does end very abruptly um so uh please i'm i'm sorry please excuse that so without further ado uh Please uh, enjoy the episode and check out part two, which will be coming uh, later this week. All right. Listeners, this is another edition of Kaiju Transmissions. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Bird. With me is my co-host, Matt. Hey, everybody. Yeah, say, say hello to the nice people out there. And with us, we have... Uh, G- we've had guests before, all right? But this is uh, our first very special guest to some, like myself and Matt. Dare I even say... Should I say a celebrity guest? No, yep. do not say that. <laughs> well, we are here with a, a very special guest, 
Uh, I will I will christen him as uh, our guest of honor. Uh, we have Mr. Norman England, who younger fans, the name might not be too familiar, but if you were a 90s kid growing up in this fandom in any capacity, you shouldn't be any stranger to that name. And uh, he made probably the best documentary about the genre, Bringing Godzilla Down to Size, which you can find on a wonderful Classic Media 2-pack with War of the Gargantuas and Rodan. Uh, something like seven something on Amazon. If you don't have it, stop this recording. Go get it. Come back. And but you would probably mostly know him from uh, excellent photo essays in G Fan. He's also has many years writing for Fangoria. Um, uh, I mean, a uh, man of many hats. Um, Sushi Typhoon films. Uh, just a couple years ago, did. Uh, okay, let me jump in here. Okay, thank you very much. Yes. We can talk about all that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Kyle, Matt, thank you for having me. And uh, no, I, I listen to your podcast a lot, and I enjoy it immensely because I like Kaiju. I like Godzilla. I always have. So, um, yeah, so let's start talking and uh, and um howard the duck enthusiast as well and and howard the duck too we're going to talk about howard the duck because i don't want people to tune out if if we just we we get to the good stuff too too soon you know or they might you know <laughs> there are a lot of people who don't get howard the duck yeah I think yeah let's get howard the duck out of the way because um i had you to, as a facebook friend for a while and then once i started the podcast we started talking getting to know each other a little more but I noticed that you have a, 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 this love for the film Howard the Duck, which is like one of the most universally maligned movies. I like it, in a, but I'm not sure if I like it in the way that I'm supposed to like it. But you like it unironically. So, like, what is it about Howard the Duck that? Okay. Well, okay. See, and these are, you know, I mean, we're kind of like of different generations. Right. So for yeah. me, Howard the Duck started out in and i actually have the first issue it's a man where the hell is it sorry i'm sitting in my room here in tokyo so uh and i cleaned it so i can't find anything um now howard the duck was i can't remember the 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 comic that he first appeared in but it was in a a, a an issue of swamp thing Oh yeah, excuse me, man thing. That was same yeah, thing. Which, and I, you know, I had bought the comic. I guess I was fifteen at the time, you know. And I called up my best friend. I was like, "Oh my god, did you just see that character? This is the most incredible character I've ever seen in my entire life." So I became a Howard the Duck fan from the the first moment, you know. I I saw Howard the Duck. So then, you know, uh, they killed off Howard. I think in the next issue, and then. Um, Marvel, you know, they, they a lot of people wrote in and they said how much how ridiculous it was to kill this great character. So they brought him back. And so I always bought the magazine. I always bought the comic when it came out and any appearance of Howard. I was a big Howard fan. So when I heard there, you know, George Lucas is making this movie, I was completely, you know, like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. So what was that? 1980. 87. I think it was 86. 86. 86. It was 86. And at, during the 80s, I worked on Times Square in this building called the Brill Building, which um, was like the center of music, I guess, in the 50s and 60s. It was like 
Um, Paul Simon had an office in our building. I would see him all the time. And um, a, a lot of Broadway video that does uh, uh, Lauren Michaels, who does Saturday Night Live, they were on the top floor. So, I mean, it was a real, like, celebrity building. Um, and so... I worked at this audio rental company. We would rent like outboard gear and, and expensive microphones to studios. And a lot of the studios were all in the neighborhood. So I would, you know, test them out and then bring them over and stuff. And that I actually did a really stupid thing, which I'm going to admit um, for the first time ever. But they had this. Do you know what one nine hundred numbers are? Yes, I remember. They have. Yep. They had a one nine hundred Howard the Duck where you would call up and every day there would be a new message from Howard. <laughs> there was I a would, Freddy Krueger one too. Okay, I called that from my office and I ha- still have a cassette, but I, I collected those onto a cassette. And then, like the next month, my boss called me in, Norman. What is this bill? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And they made me pay. It was like. 200 bucks I had to pay for my stupid Howard the Duck call. <laughs> but anyway, then the, the movie opened up. I went on opening night because, you know, I'm, I'm the point of this is I'm on Times Square. So I'm seeing movies like opening night, you know, for years on Times Square. So I, I went. It's like, oh, my God, I love this movie. It's not Howard like in the comic, but it was just kind of like so goof. It was such a like a train wreck of a film. Yet it had a certain kind of the the film was just kind of really just completely, you know, how can I say just, you know, completely out there. I mean, who who in the right mind would make a movie like this? And for me, you know, that's a thing that I always look for in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I mean, it's one of the reasons I like Godzilla. I mean, I find since I've been a kid, I've always been into science fiction. I've always been into horror, not so much fantasy. Um, but the things that I like about, say, a movie like Howard the Duck is it gives me stuff I've never seen before. Um, it gives it shows me a world that's more interesting than the world that I live in, you know, than the world that I live in. And um, yeah, Howard just it really had a kind of of the times vibe, you know, really felt like what was, you know, Oh yeah. That, that only could have happened in the eighties. Yeah. It had an eighties vibe. Um, it was still, you know, there was no uh, CG really being used, you know, and, and, uh, you know, all non CG films for me, you know, back then, I mean, they were like these great efforts to make these films, even a movie like Howard the duck. I think they had like a gazillion duck suits and, Mm-hmm. You know, in up suits and stuff. And in a way like that, I could compare it to Godzilla, you know, and it's soon it's a, it's a puppet shot. Yeah. You know, it still looks different from, you know, the the main suit, you know, and, and as a Godzilla fan, those are always fun. You know, I guess people who don't like Godzilla will just see it. Oh, that's a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, shooting, you know, aerosol out of his mouth, whatever. You know, for me, I always enjoy those kind of. My, even special effects that I find that are like less successful, I still find that have a certain kind of charm, a, a handmade, you know, charm quality about them. And I want to say, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. For example, like last night, I had a party at my house until 6 a.m. So I'm a little hungover. I have to full disclosure on that. But we watched 
uh, what did we watch? We watched, um, my brain's not really working. We watched um, um, uh, Hell of the Living Dead. What, what's um, Night of the Zombies? That was the original title, if you know Night of the Zombies. Um, Night of the Zombies is like, uh, I, I forgot who the director it's is. It's an Italian one, right? But it's got all this um, uh, animal footage thrown in. So if like a character just happens to glance over his shoulder, suddenly there's a kangaroo. Then if he, <laughs> looks, he looks on the other side, there's like a, stamp, a stampede of elephants. You know, they don't even care, you know, that these don't live on the same continent at all. I mean, the, the movie's just completely in, in, incredibly insane. Uh, it's just the most wonderful film. Uh, my friend uh, Mike Gingold and Scooter, they did the liner notes for the U.S. I think Anchor Bay put it out. They did the liner notes, and they just write about how bad this movie is. <laughs> and they actually took a lot of heat from, like, serious fans of the film. Uh, I mean, I, I, I love the movie. And so, last, for example, I watched that, and then we watched uh, the new Blu-ray that came out of Dr. Butcher. Oh, that is, one is, that movie is a sight. Do, did, is that good or bad? Uh, a little of both, because like you, like I I have a soft spot for bad movies of, of bad movies of that, like, type. Um, did you catch the part where, like, the dummy falls out the window? And Oh, of course, of <laughs> course. I mean, this is like old old news no yeah. i mean that 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 film no i've been watching that movie unfortunately i didn't see it in the theater when it came out because i was at that time in my life i was living in uh hollywood and san francisco kind of traveling around and, and then before i came back to new york so i i missed that in the so, theater so did you ever get to go to were you around in the like grindhouse 42nd street era Yes, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Did you like? Did you have any crazy experiences on 42nd Street? Because all I hear is stories. Well, you know, I mean, actually, I'm I'm I work for a magazine in Japan called Egahiho, and uh, we're the biggest selling movie magazine in Japan. And I have a monthly column, and I have a, a page, and the the theme of my page is. Um, the Grindhouse. That's a, my, my friend Yoshki, who's one of the editors, he named it Grindhouse USA. And it's, it started out because Yoshki would listen to my stories from back in the 80s, uh, kind of at the end of the, the Grindhouse period. And he's like, your stories are really good. I want you to do this for the magazine. So I've been writing for that, I guess, in February, it'll be five years. And we're putting a book together of all my columns. So I'm actually rewriting most, mostly the early ones when it was just a half a page. Um, so all my stories there kind of are like seeing the stuff on opening night or seeing Howard the Duck on Howard the Duck was my first full page um, article, I think, for the magazine because I had all this space I could just like go off on my love of Howard the Duck. <laughs> I've written about Godzilla. See, for example, seeing Godzilla 85 um, on opening night on Times Square, seeing it there. So I have like stories like this. And I mean, one of the things was like, yeah, a lot of people talk about how, you know, uh, insane it, it, you know, it was. And I do have a couple stories. Um, actually, we were watching the uh, Dr. Butcher video last night. And there's like a Roy Frumpkis and another guy who's on my Facebook friends list. The two of them, I can't remember his name right now, 
the two of them are like walking down 42nd Street today and talking about how it used to be. And, you know, and there's a picture there. There was a picture of like Poltergeist 2, Invaders from Mars and the Beast Within, like this triple the, this triple um, show. And I had actually gone to that show only because I wanted to see Invaders from Mars again, which is one of my my favorite 80s films that was invaders from mars is actually the original one is i i I cite this the first science fiction movie i ever saw it was a movie that changed my life it got me into like this kind of stuff that and gorgo and then godzilla so i went to see uh invaders from mars and i got completely drunk (laughs) like i think yeah i brought a bottle of Jack Daniels with me into the, the theater and like I'm chugging this thing and I'm like completely like I'm, I'm happy the movie's back I'm completely like wasted oh man I gotta go to the toilet that's the bad thing about drinking and, and watching film is you have to make toilet runs every now and then so I walked into the toilet you know and I actually I stumbled into the toilet I did my I, I did my business and I'm about to leave and there's a guy in the toilet and he comes up to me and he goes, yo, motherfucker, give me your goddamn fucking wallet. And I looked at this guy and I just started laughing, <laughs> you know, because I was so completely drunk. I just laughed in this guy's face like this guy is so angry, he's so pissed. You know, he wants something from me. He wants, he wants my, my wallet. Why would I want to give this guy my wallet? You know, it was like that, that kind of like, like drunk head. The guy just looked at me and he goes, man, you're too fucking cool. And he walked out. <laughs> you know, and it was like, actually, what I like about that story was if I hadn't been drunk, my wallet would have been. Right. Pissed. Yeah. You oh, know, wow. but because I was like my brain was in another zone, you know, and I, I've actually though I did get mugged once on the corner of 42nd and 7th on my way to go see um, Cannibal Holocaust. And the guys, and here's another thing that I did. These guys, they, sh- they, they took out a gun. It was like five guys. They got around, around me. They took out a, took out a gun because I stupidly I'd opened my wallet to, to count my money. I mean, how more touristy can you be counting your money on 42nd Street, you know? <laughs> So I deserve anything that happened to me, really. These guys got around and they, they like give up the cash. And then they're like, um, when they go to leave, I have no, I have no more money. My brother's coming or I'm supposed to meet my brother in the theater. And I'm like, excuse me, guys, do you think I could get five bucks back? Cause I'm going to go see a movie. It's four for the film and one for the subway home. And they looked at me like, are you insane? You know, but I think it was such a wacky thing to ask that the leader who took all my money gave me five bucks back. <laughs> Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, you get, you ask the mugger to give you back some money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so those are my, my, my 42nd street like stories. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, you know, it's like, it, 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 you know, uh, and I consider myself a New Yorker, even though I've been living in Japan for, 20, almost 24 years now. Um, the thing about New York is, and New Yorkers know this, that it's not really dangerous unless you allow it to be. You know, like I said, I, 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 
took out my wallet. I shouldn't have done that. Um, so anyway, I mean, that's kind of like 42nd Street was like that. If, if you mind your own business and you don't go and do stupid things, you're not going to have trouble. Yeah. Speaking of great, bad movies, um, are you familiar with the movie Pieces? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, Grindhouse releasing just did, like, an amazing-looking Blu-ray. Like, it's so much better than that movie has any right to, to look. But there's a feature-length documentary that um, called 42nd Street Memories that's, that's really cool. And, um, I, I, you know, people definitely kind of... Uh, uh, idealize the old 42nd Street. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think my writing about 42nd Street is a little different because um, I don't... My, can you hear my ridiculous cat? Is, just <laughs> is, that, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, but don't worry about it. But no, I mean, I, I, I don't try to overplay that. I mean, when I read those stories and I think see things like... I'm not denying that it didn't happen, but, I mean, for me, it's always been about the movies. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I liked about 42nd Street back then, the, the, and I consider like Theater Row, you know, Times Square, you know, what I liked about that, I don't think there was, you know, a, a bigger collection of movie theaters like within like the same area in the entire world. So it was like every single movie was at your fingertip, you know, that was playing around that time. So it was just, you know, you just walk down the street and, oh, look at this one, look at this one. And I would always, I would prefer to see them over on like uh, the Rivoli, which is right across from my office, which is long gone now. I mean, that was built in like 1900 something, and it was the big cinema scope. So the 42nd Street theaters for me were always a last resort. Yeah. If, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. because you go into those places, they're crumbling literally. You know, they they would stink of like you know 20 year old butter. If, if you know that smell, I don't. But I'm okay. Very and thankful. you go into and you go into those places, and it's like, you know, it's like every third seat tips all the way to the floor. You know, you slide you slide right onto this like, you know, the floor. The screens are all like completely ripped up, taped over. You know, there's like, what <clears throat> um, candy stuck onto the screen. <laughs> You know, and it's like, and then, oh, wow. you know, if, if speakers would, you know, emit some weird high-pitched crackling sound. So as a movie fan, that is not like the, you know, not where I want to see movies. So I said those are always like last resort theaters, mm-hmm. you know. And then, of course, you get a lot of like really fucked up characters. Yeah. Inside. People sleeping or um, what happened once? I was like me and a friend. Well, we saw the movie Popcorn, if you know that. Yes, crappy. I do. <laughs> we we saw that, and what was that, 92? It was early 90s, I think. Yeah, it was like an early, just before I moved to Japan. And um, I guess we were a little, uh, how can I say? Um, well, anyway, we were not like, yeah, I think <laughs> we got high before we saw the movie. Okay, goddammit, I said it. Um, and we're sitting in our seats and we're kind of feeling really good. We're waiting for, you know, new horror movie and, and stuff. And the guy behind me, two guys behind me, they have a beatbox and they're just blasting. Like, um, I think at that time it was still called rap music, mm-hmm. but, um, they're blasting it behind us. And I'm like, so I turn around to the guys and I say, Oh, excuse me. Do you think you could turn that down? Because they're playing my favorite, um, 
they're playing my favorite classical uh, medley right now uh, because it was just a theater music. Yeah. And the guy, and I looked at the guy, the guy had like, like one of those three finger gold rings on, you know, like all, like his whole neck was like Mr. T, <laughs> you know, gold, gold necklaces all around. And I'm like, oh shit, I just fucked up. <laughs> and the guy looked at me and he said, are you fucking talking to me? And these guys freaked out. Why don't, and, and I, and I just said to my friend, let's get up and let's move over to those seats. Yeah, that's right. Get your fucking sorry asses. You think this is your goddamn fucking living room? You can just talk to anybody. And I'm like, in my brain, I'm thinking you're the guy with a beatbox playing, you know, music. <laughs> Who's right. And we just got up and walked over. So you didn't know, you know, this is what I was saying earlier. You don't talk to people you don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was like, I broke that rule. I almost got my ass kicked, you know, really. I mean, these guys could have kicked me. And, I mean, we were like, I'm totally weak. You yeah. know, I mean, I admit it. I'm totally weak. You know, I don't like fighting. Um, I like watching movies, you know. So anyway, maybe we should talk about Godzilla. Or <laughs> yeah. We, like we, I, I mean, I, I could listen to these stories all day because. But anyway, what? What I was saying, and I want to put this out in English, too, and I think my book will be much different from those others. I like listening to stories of Times Square and, and stuff like that, um, but I don't know if I think it was, like, as badass as some people want to sell it, if you, if you know what I mean. Well, I'll even admit, yeah. um, like, that, that documentary I mentioned, like, the mythologizing, I guess, of, of the time period, it makes it sound like, oh, watching pieces in a theater like that must have been, like, just added to the experience. But then it's like, well, if I actually spent money to go see this in that time and that was my movie experience, I probably would have been a little disappointed. But, like, it's it's very easy to go back and think about, like, oh... I can see how that could have been fun, but I don't, I don't know if I would want to like, I don't know. Like I, I can totally see how like, yeah, if you actually want to watch a movie and get into a movie as a movie fan, it is not the place you want to be. Yeah. So the area was more like just convenient. And you know, the other thing was, uh, you know, it, it was all like, say as New Yorkers, I mean, we had a lot of different options, but it was like, you know, it was just the place you go to see film. So it was very, um, I, I, it's just seeing movies there was just like the only option that you had. It's yeah. just like for me, because I work, uh, you know, I was, I'm working in, on Times Square and I step out at night and it's like, oh my God, look, there's like a million movies to go and see. So, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, I, like I said, I, I mean, I just avoided the, the riffraff. But well, inside the theater wasn't that bad. Yeah. All anyway, right. Well. Guys, if, yeah. Anyway. If you get that book uh, out in English, um, I would totally pick that up. So, people listening, Norman may or may not have a book about Forty Second Street coming out in English one day. <laughs> it has. I think it will have one section on Godzilla '85. Okay. Which I will never refer to as the return of Godzilla. Oh no, those Toho made-up titles are the worst. Toho's been very, um, uh, what's the word? Hungover. They've been very, um, well, they protective of Godzilla. Yeah. You know, so sure. I mean, I'm always going to call it Monster Zero, and I don't care what they say. 
Um, I will write it and refer to it as Monster Zero, but I can understand them wanting to, because they didn't make up that name. You know, that was done by the, the U.S. side of companies that are now, you know, long out of business. Yeah, but I mean, that's, if you want to do business with Toho, you, you have to do it that way. I mean, when I would do Fangoria stories, too, Toho would sometimes check through and say, okay, we want it spelt like this. This movie is actually this. I'd say, well, you know, the director said this, well, but he's wrong. It's got to be this title. Okay. You know, for them, it's it's a prod, product, and they're very, uh, like, that's sort of protective. Well, now that we're in, like, the meat and potatoes, we've finally brought up Godzilla. Um, I should have you on, like, an If It Bleeds episode, because I can hear you, like, you have some stories. Um, so, just like... Um, yeah, because this is the kaiju one, because you... Uh, wait, Matt, and you're still alive, right? I'm still here. I'm, I'm just oh, taking okay. it all in. I'm enjoying the stories, man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay, sorry, I talk a lot. Every everyone who knows me knows I talk a lot. Even in Japanese I talk a lot. So Um but yes, people, um Norman is joining us from the other side of the globe where it's technically a day forward from where we are. So you're you're uh, you're um you're coming at us from the future. How how I know. is uh... and, and and we're still alive. We're still alive, so you can like live these next 12 hours with peace of mind yeah. knowing the world will come to an end. White Elephant in the Room, for people listening anyway, um, I want to say I fully backed you up on Shin Godzilla. I know we talked, we, we're not going to make too fine a point out of Shin Godzilla, because I think all three of us are tired of thinking about it and talking about it, but people really went after you on... Did they? Well, I, I mean, in, in, well, <laughs> just based on like your little comments in the Japan Times... Like there were whole like oh okay that uh, in the Japan time actually uh, you know there were whole that... Reddit there were whole Reddit threads about in, in like message board threads about your comments and I I just I don't know I thought that was so bizarre because you never f- like formally reviewed it and <laughs> people were really after you about you calling it out as really just a piece of Japanese propaganda which. I, I I mean, a lot of fans for somehow aren't seeing it that way. I mean, me and Matt and our friend Chris, we did a whole episode about I listened to about that, and and I feel like a lot of people just have the wool pulled over their eyes. But well, I, I, here's the thing about the Japan Times thing. Okay, I I've known Mark Schilling for years. He's a great guy. Um, we see eye to eye on a lot of things, you know, about Japan as well. Um, he's been here longer than me, you know, if that's even humanly possible. But, I mean, he's been here, I think, since like 78 or something like that. Don't quote me on that. Um, but he, you know, he wanted my comments. So I wrote him like a whole like paragraph. And he only used like that was like the heart of it. But I had framed it a lot differently. You know, and then like when I read it and things like, oh, this is just going to be trouble for me because it wasn't really framed the way I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be, you know, and I don't really want to get into Shin Godzilla. However, you know, like you said, I do view it as a a propaganda movie. Um, I don't think it's about Godzilla. It could just be you could replace it with aliens, you know, Mm -hmm. or you could replace it with the Chinese you know, you could replace it with anything and you'd still have the same movie. 
um, where I think, you know, a lot of other Godzilla movies, sure, I guess you could say that about anything, really, you know. However, you know, it's always been, like, even a movie like uh, uh, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, you know, and they find Godzilla sleeping in the, the, the cave or whatever, you know, and then, you know, they have to wake up Godzilla with the lightning and stuff like that. And I mean, it's because of what Godzilla is, you know, so you couldn't put a Chinese army invading army in the same kind of story. Yeah. You know, Godzilla was always like Godzilla and Godzilla does Godzilla stuff, you know, and Godzilla reacts to things in, in this way, you know, I mean, this thing is just sort of like, like this brick sliding across the countryside <laughs> until it just stops. Yeah. And then it morphs into something else. And I mean, for me, none of that. And I, I don't want to sound like a purist, you know, because I'm open to new ideas and I'm open to new things. You know, that's like actually when um, uh, episode seven came out, I went on, I went to see that on opening night. And then afterwards, me and some of the other writer friends, about eight of us, we went to get Yakiniku. We stayed up till frigging 6 a.m. just talking about it. And around 4 a.m., I just said, I have an announcement I want to make. I think I liked episode one more than episode seven. And everyone was like, Norman, get the hell out of here. You know, our friendship is over. You know, things <laughs> like that. But my point was, and Lucas made this point later, he says it's much easier to do a greatest hits thing, you know, rather than come up with new stuff. You know, and that was the thing I felt like I, of course, I like episode seven more, but I respect episode one more because it was at least attempting to do original stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was the thing, you know, so I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, like, yeah, sure, I'm into new things with Godzilla, but, you know, it's like that the old philosophical kind of uh, story is like how much of a table do you have to remove until you no longer recognize it as being a table yeah you know, you, exactly right you know and that's that's what i i felt like i i was not seeing the table if, mm -hmm. if you oh no I, what i'm saying I'm, I'm gonna say something controversial here i don't doubt anno and higuchi being fans they I, their previous works and that exhibit they they're obviously fans they obviously know their stuff but when given the opportunity to make a godzilla movie i don't feel like they had any interest to actually make a godzilla movie i think they wanted to Yeah, that's a big mystery that's a mystery yeah. to me I, it's this is just a theory but i think that they wanted to say something about article 9 and all this and used kind of used the fact that they're making this big product franchise movie to say what they wanted to say um just like how i don't think emmerich was a fan and i mean he's admitted it but i just like how i don't think emmerich was really interested in making a godzilla movie either and like the creature in shin godzilla is is so far removed from godzilla and like it has more in common with john carpenter's the thing the creature in that movie than it does godzilla just, yeah, it, I love the thing. Oh, who doesn't? My favorite movie ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, no, I, 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 uh, I, I know, Bert. I, I totally see. You know, you, your point. For me, that was like I saw the movie a month before everybody else did, which was really painful for me because I, I signed a non-disclosure. Mm -hmm. um, but 
you know, right from the beginning, there was another guy there. What's his name? He worked on Bialante. There was like just like six of us in the audience because they really weren't doing previews. I don't even know how I got myself into a preview. But, um, you know, right away I was like, okay, I'm not liking this movie. You know, for, well, for a, a lot of different reasons. Um, but when I talked to this guy after the thing, I recognized him, he recognized me. And uh, we started talking outside of uh, the Toho office in Yurakucho. And um, he was like, it was fantastic. And it was like, oh my God, is this what's going to, you know, is this what's <laughs> going to start happening with this thing? And that's exactly what happened. Happened everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, and everywhere. And, um, well, no, I mean, I see a lot of people who, you know, dislike the film. And I can understand, you know, there's like a, a weird thing going on now. You can see it with Star Wars. You can see it. Um, I don't want to sound like an old guy or anything like this, but I think the problem is not so much, say, like, oh, we love Shin Godzilla or we love Rogue One or whatever. It's like there's, you know, people today, young people today, they don't really have a strong I hate to use the word franchise. They don't have that. And they want to make it their own. They want to make these things their own, you know, and they're just willing to accept, you know, these things. Yeah, it's, that it's, I don't, it's the obligation. I, I, a lot of people. Yeah, but, but I'm saying it's it's more like you see, I see, like, there hasn't been a Godzilla film since, uh, I hate to say the word, Final Wars. <laughs> really. um, and that was, what, 11 years that was yeah, a gap we had. I mean, yeah, right. And not counting the, the 2014 Godzilla. I mean, like a, a Japanese Godzilla film. So I think there were like a lot of new fans who came in. And for them, Godzilla was this kind of finished. Because I tell you, man, when Final Wars came out and like talking to people at Toho, and this is what they said, we're not doing it. We're tired of Godzilla. And one of the guys, my friends at Toho, a uh, PR guy said, we won't do another Godzilla for another 10 years. And it really, it was only the success of the 2014 one that even, like, brought it back onto the table. Yeah. You know? And this is another thing, going back to what you're saying before, was it was not a big-budgeted movie, which is one of the reasons I think it wound up being a talkie film. I mean, no one expected it to be this successful, you know? Um, so that's why, you know, it doesn't, I mean, no Japanese movies are really on the same level as like Hollywood films in terms of art direction and spectacle. But this film was completely lacking, you know, in any kind of spectacle, right. really, other than like, you know, just CG stuff. Suddenly, mm -hmm. shoot, you know, at night where you can't really see anything, you know, and a very soothing purple beams are shooting, you know, all over the place. You know, and and for me, none of that is what makes Godzilla interesting. You know, <laughs> I mean, I like I mean, I like, you know, well, you know, as I don't know if everyone knows, I mean, I, I've spent almost 150 days of my life on Godzilla sets, you know, and the energy that's on the set is also present in the films, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, when I saw Shin Godzilla, I mean, it didn't have you know, I mean, it didn't have 
the type of stuff that I want to, I want to see, I want to experience. It, it was just, you know, a CG Godzilla, you know, and I really didn't think people would accept that because they've always been, you know, against the CG Godzillas of the U.S. You know what I mean? The true fans. Yeah. And now suddenly they're eating it up here. It's funny. Shin Godzilla is <laughs> guilty of so many things that the the 2014 movie everyone complained about. Little screen time for the monster. Uh, Bleeding gills. Yeah, gills. <laughs> <laughs> CG. Uh, it, I don't know. It's it. I mean, I'm none of us are saying because I don't want people to misinterpret anything. None of us are saying if you don't like the movie, you're wrong or you're stupid or anything. But it's there are certain things about the reaction to it that seem a little bit inconsistent. No, and and actually to tell you the truth, you know, I mean, in Japan it was another thing. You couldn't, and even now you can't really. I mean. People all the time who's like, I don't like the film. I can't say it uh, openly. You know, it's really weird. It was like after 9-11, I went back to New York, and it was like when we started the war in Afghanistan, and um, I mean, which I was, I'm always against war. And uh, I found when I was talking about it, like against the war, I was speaking in hushed tones and I was like, oh, my God, I've never in my entire life felt that I couldn't just say, you know, my opinion openly, you know, and it was like, so 9-11 and Shin Godzilla, for me, that, that's the <laughs> connection that they have. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I saw other people and I don't want to name names or anything, but I met people that work on Godzilla and they are um, unhappy. And no, I'm not talking about Kaneko. You know, I mean, one of the things, you know, because I think people do know that I, I have a, a strong friendship with Kaneko. One of the things about him is he does not talk bad about people in the same because he knows he, he has a, a position, you know, and, and he doesn't shoot off at the mouth kind of like I do. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, so no, Kaneko's never said anything bad about Shin Godzilla, and that's only because he's never said anything about it to me, personally. And, and I don't think he will He will not comment on the movie, because he probably doesn't want to say, he doesn't want to get involved, you know, yeah. one way or the other. And that's from a professional point of view. So, me, I would be more outspoken, I think, but, but I actually chose not to review the film for my magazine, because I couldn't really say anything good about the movie. And, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm not involved in Godzilla anymore, and I don't really care care to be, especially if it's going to go the CG direction, you know, because for me, it was always about, like, the suit. It was always about on the set. I mean, you go on the set, and there's, like, 80 people, you know, men and women, and it's like... It's like this miniature city, you know, going on in Studio Nine, you know, with the all the different departments all over the place and everyone's doing stuff. And every day you're you're building up like you do two effect shots a day, you know, and it builds up, you know, every everyone puts all their energy like onto the spot on the stage. You know, they set up the camera, they set up the, the miniatures, they do the lighting the pyrotechnic guys come in, they wire up stuff, and it's a long, involved process. And it's really, you know, for me, it's much more dynamic than 
a room full of guys on computers, you know, doing like wireframes and early renders and whatever, you know. Yeah. What what Godzilla films have you actually been to? I, I, I know about GMK, and I believe you've been on the two Tezuka films. Uh, but what, what films are you Tezuka. I'm going to give you guys a lesson on how to pronounce Japanese names. <laughs> we need that. Uh, we, especially Matt, me. Especially, I'll, I'll, yeah. Tezuka. 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 Okay. So which uh, which films have you been a part of? And I know you've actually well, part been of, I mean, Okay, here, here it is, basically. Godzilla 2000. I did Fangoria story. So I came to Tokyo for a couple of days because I was living in Osaka at the time. And you can see me. As a yellow blur, um, I was wearing my yellow Star Wars shirt that was like a button, really nice shirt. I still have it. That came out when Episode 1 got released. But Does that have Jar Jar Binks on it? It does not have. It's got. It's like um, Snow Troopers on it. It's really. It's a real sweet shirt, actually. Um, oh, and, and that's when the UFO crashes down into the like Shinjuku district, I guess, like on top of the building. Yeah, And they got all these extras. They got all these extras that day, and everyone's wearing business suits. So I said to Okwata, can I be in the scene? He's like, yeah, sure. He goes, ah, but you're not really wearing this. It's like a business district. And I'm like, I'm a tourist. You still got tourists around. He's like, oh, okay. So we all had to run over this plank. It's over in Studio 5, which is now gone, been rebuilt. But we had to run over this plank. And one of the guys, the cameraman, was like, get in the middle. That's the only chance you'll have of actually being on the screen. So I did that, and it was like, there must have been like 40 of us. And, and like us, only a small portion of us got on it. But you can just see me as this yellow blur. Like, you know, I'm like superimposed into the thing, into the shot. I think that's if, if I haven't seen the movie in like 15 years. But anyway, that was my Godzilla 2000. Then I came back for Mega Giras to do another story for Fangoria, and I was here in Tokyo for, um, I guess, a week or so. So I guess I went to the set of that a bunch of times, you know, over that week. And then when Kaneko got GMK, I decided, okay, I'm moving to Tokyo. So then I became a permanent fixture, fixture on GMK. And then the next year, when, uh, what was that, Mechagodzilla? Mm-hmm. Mechagodzilla, um, I had had a good relationship with the art department, which is run by Mike. Um, you know, he's done all the art stuff. Uh, uh, Toshio Mike. And um, then everyone was like, so Norman, what are you going to do for the next years? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, they call Crankin is the first day of shooting. I just went to Toho. So I just went up to the gate. The guardman <laughs> saw me. They're like, hey, hi, how you doing? I'm like, I'm great. And I just walked in. I went into the thing and the, the art department guys were there and they're like, yo, Norman, you're back. Okay, awesome. You know, and then, of course, I, I did talk to the PR department. I'm going to do another story. And they're like, yeah, okay, I guess it's cool that you can just come and go. I don't know. And then the what what I'm trying to I'm driving to is the art department. They they cleared a desk space for me, and they wrote, "This is the seat where Norman sits." Something like, I mean, all in Japanese. They wrote something about this, and like the art department, not the uh, the PR department, was like, 
they like uh, basically what I'm saying in my hungover state is they kind of took me under their wing and protected me and they gave me um, permission, so to speak, to be able to come every day. And uh, the difference between that and the GMK was I had a, and I still do have a good relationship with Tezuka, but it wasn't like my friendship with Kaneko. So I, the only time I went to live action was when they were actually shooting in the studio. You know, I didn't because when they you go on location, it's like you got to be there like 6 a.m. and you get on a bus and you you drive all over and things are a lot more like um, exactly who is there and for what purpose. And, and Mecha Godzilla, I spent most of my time just on the effects. And I would go, I guess, like three or four times a week. You know, a little more uh, if they were working. Sometimes they'd have to work on Sunday when they were falling behind and stuff. And then the next year, what was what was that? The um, it was uh, Tokyo, Tokyo SOS. SOS. Yep. Which you are the and star that, of. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> line, you know, line about missiles or something, right? Oh, uh, whatever. Yeah, I know. I, uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm. I, I get asked to do stuff because I'm there. You know, basically. Um, but, um, oh, yeah. And then that one, I went a bunch of times, but not as much as before because I was kind of get, getting a little tired because it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really amounting to anything. I have to work. So, for example, some days on the special effects thing, you might have like the whole day is just like a close up of. Mechagodzilla's feet shooting gas, like whatever. You know what I mean? That I would rather be there on the day where like uh, Mechagodzilla's walking through a building, you know, or Godzilla and Mechagodzilla are um, collapsing onto the the Diet Building. You know what I mean? So, I, I like on GMK, I was everything. I want to see everything, even the boring, the boring moments. You know, I want to be there for that. You know, and then by the third year, it was kind of like, okay, I'm gonna just pick out, you know, what's what's going on tomorrow. Look at the schedule for the next day. Look at the storyboard, type of thing. And then for Final Wars, I I didn't feel like there wasn't anything new that I was actually learning that I hadn't gotten from the others. And I went about five or six times to the Final Wars set, but just because I could. Yeah. If you, you you just walk up and. I mean, I would go over to see, you know, everyone like the the art department, and um, oh, that's how I got in the movie uh, Lorelei, because I was over there, I was over at Toho when they were uh, preparing Final Wars, and I was outside, and Higuchi was there, and Higuchi came up to me, goes, Norman, I need gaijin, I need foreigners. You'd be a foreigner in my movie? I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess. <laughs> Where are you in Lorelei? Because I'm I just rewatched it. Cause... I'm the first guy you see in the, the, the in, just in the opening. The um, the you see the submarine, and then there's this extreme close up of my face, <laughs> and and you can hear my voice. And there's like another shot. There's like two shots of me, I think. And the reason for that is. They couldn't. They didn't have the money to build another submarine set, so we're using actually the set that was for the Lorelei sub itself. 
So they oh, had okay. to mask that. They had to do these extreme close-up shots. And I mean, really, like, I mean, I don't like being on film a lot, but I did it. Yeah, because I've, I've spot you in Tokyo SOS. I've spotted you in Crossfire. Lorelei, I didn't spot you, but... Okay, just look at the beginning again, and okay. you'll see me. There. And I've got, like, all this... Um, we're supposed to be sweating, and they put Vaseline all over me and stuff. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. But, you know, the good thing was I got paid. Oh, there you go. Being in that. And, oh, I actually have a funny Lorelei story I can tell you on the set. So we were shooting that on Studio 9, right, which is, you know, the effects stage at, at Toho. And it was the last day of shooting. My, my, mine was the last day of shooting. So there's uh, Higuchi's there. And Junko, who's the script, this uh, continuity person, they called scripta in Japan, and uh, Nanli, the the producer, and he had worked on the Gamera stuff. Um, so the three of them are there, and what I did as a kind of a joke was, on the Tokyo SOS rap party, um, the art director Mike had like. We, we always do games in Japan at parties. I mean, it's ridiculous. So you, you do games and you win prizes and stuff. So he had won a bunch of Godzilla stuff and he didn't want it. So he gave me this like Godzilla, not underwear, but like Godzilla shorts, like the kind you wouldn't wear outside, but you'd wear <laughs> around the house and wouldn't be accused of just being in your underwear type of thing. And they had like all these Godzilla on the whole things. So I, so I, I wore that under my Lorelei like military uniform right so Higuchi's sitting there he's at the monitor and the producer's there and Junko's there and I walk up and I go ah Mr. Director there's something I want to show you and I zip my pants down and I stick my hand into my pants and Junko goes Norman what the hell are you doing (laughs) and I pull out and just luckily, perfectly pulled it out, and Godzilla's face was right there. And the three of them just start cracking up. I'm like, it's Studio 9. I had to wear my Godzilla underwear. And Higuchi said, oh, I thought you were going to say, look at, look at my torpedo. <laughs> now, Higuchi's a funny guy. No, he's a funny guy. He was, like, spot on with that. So uh, that's my Lorelei story. There oh, you wow. go. That might be... Like, can see kind of what my personality is like so and i don't mean like you know like i'm the uh, trying to be the funny foreigner or something like that because you know i did do work you know yeah. i would actually since there one of the things about japan it doesn't really it has a, a like uh unions but it doesn't have unions like like unions in america where you know film unions where it's like you touch that cable and i bust you, your ass you know you know, people are protecting their work. And I, I actually respect that because I'm, I'm a union guy. I believe in unions. And I feel Japan, the movie industry, because we don't have unions here, it's trouble. However, one of the things I do like about in Japan on the, the movie sets is everybody pitches in. You know, like, for example, the, the, the major, the, the major, major shot, the major tank scene in, uh, Tokyo SOS? Was it in Tokyo SOS, yeah, right? Yeah, there were mazers in Tokyo SOS. Okay. Like that was like the styrofoam mountains, you know, and they were really bulky. They weren't really heavy, but like when that, 
when those scenes wrap, I mean, is everybody, lighting department people, camera department, me included, you grab a corner and you, you know, drag it out to the pool, you know, before it gets like sliced and destroyed or something like that. I mean, everybody will pitch in when it's required. Um, everyone pitches in. The bad thing is the studios know this and they know they can get away with smaller crews. Mm, okay. Yeah. So that's how the studios can abuse that, and it's that's a part, kind of like a good part of the Japanese, say, personality, is that you know people want to work hard and they want to to please their their bosses and stuff like that, and the companies know that they will do that so they can basically rip them off. Uh, what was I talking about anyway before I got off on one of my million tangents? <laughs> you did, that, yeah, were you that, on all three of the Gamera films? No, I was only Gamera three. Okay. That was like the first movie set in Japan was Gamera three. Okay. At and, the um, kill station. Did you things. do any of the Mothras? No, that was all before okay. my time. But I know a lot of those guys. You know, I mean, it's all the same people. So, yeah. um, like this. Tezuka book just came out. The Mechagodzilla book just came yeah, out. I which, think which Matt, I, said, Matt, Matt, you just picked that up, right? Yes, it's fantastic. I, I like the uh, the two Mechagodzilla films, so I, I love that book. It's better than the the two uh, the two previous books that came out. The okay. I don't know the I don't have those because my photos are in this one. I think I said I've got like thirty set photos from that, so they're like throughout throughout the book so they sent me a copy but the reason i was mentioning that was uh my friend shimizu who was an assistant director i think on all the mothra movies and on the godzilla films and now he works with tomiyama at the um i think the film academy or something like that he's he's left he's left toho but he contacted me about because everyone knows i've got all these photos from the set that I mean, I've got like Godzilla. I've got like thirty thousand set photos. Yeah, if that, if anyone listening has seen like set photos from the Millennium series, a lot of them were probably taken by Norman. He, you actually have one of my favorite behind the scenes photos ever, and that was like the little kid standing next to the GMK Godzilla, and he's like screaming. Crying? Yeah. Oh man, that was hysterical that day. I mean, a lot. People always bring friends and family. You've seen that, I mean, since, you know, way back when, school kids standing around Godzilla and stuff. And we would get that. We get field trips and kids would come and take photos and stuff like that. And this guy was not a regular staff guy. The guy who's holding his kid in that photo, like he, he was, sometimes you get people that do like specialty stuff, like say with the, the Mazer tanks like there'll be guys that just come in for the light bulb you know where it glows on that thing so the guy will only be on the set for those things so that guy was one of these guys that just was there for a particular purpose and he brought his kid one day did you ever hear this story because i don't want to repeat i haven't heard the story i've just seen the picture a billion times and well so the guy brought his kid you know like from school so he was wearing that those terrible short pants things that kids wear yeah are forced to wear in japan and he's like okay you want to take a photo with godzilla yeah 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 and just the closer that they got to this thing the kid just started freaking out (laughs) you know and then the dad picked him up 
and carried him over. And the kid was just like this, like wild weasel in his hands, like squirming and like screaming. And everyone is just laughing hysterical. And if you look at the, the dad's face, he's just like, oh, well. And then so they took a photo and I, I snapped a shot because I shoot I, I shoot everything all day, morning to night. And then when the best thing was, then they walked away, the kid's like drying his eyes and he goes, Mothra was better. <laughs> you know, and I guess he had brought him to the Mothra set and Mothra was more like manageable for him as a kid. If you, if you understand well, what yeah, I'm saying. The, 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 so it was just kind of funny that his little hearing his little, his kid's comment, you know, but that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, put up those photos as much anymore because actually uh, I'm coming out with my own Godzilla book. It's this is an unofficial announcement. Oh, but, wow. Breaking so, news, everybody. I'm <laughs> uh, not breaking news. I mean, I've been working on this thing for 10 years, so but it's it's in the translation stage now, which took a long, long. I write in English. I don't write in Japanese. I can't write in Japanese. So um, it's in the translation stage right now. And the photos, I've picked out several hundred best shots. So those are being worked on now. Part of the problem, though, are actor photos. So is, I don't is this a... Be what, 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 is, what type of book is it? Is it a photo book? Is it a book it's of like your a, experiences? Uh, it, no, it, it's yeah, more experience. It's, like a, a, it's done in a diary style. Okay. So originally I wanted to do all the sets you know, that I was involved in, because I kept really good notes from back then. Um, but I ended it, I ended with the GMK premiere on opening day. And I felt that to go into the Mechagodzilla movies would only have an appeal to like hardcore Godzilla fans. Because mm, yeah. part of, the, part of the, the reason, it's not just a Godzilla book, but it's about Japanese movie sets, you know, and the culture, the culture of Japanese movie making through Godzilla, if, if you understand what yeah. I'm saying. Um, I mean, that's what I hope it's going to be about. But I felt if I just go back and then the next year I'm back again, you know, and it's just going to be it was already difficult to try to keep every single day different from the next. If you know, if you mm -hmm. understand what I'm saying. just doing GMK, because I've got in the book. The way the text is, um, uh, Godzilla 2000. I had a crossfire section, which I completely removed because it, it didn't serve any purpose. So Gamera 3, Godzilla 2000, Mega Gidos, and then the, the bulk of the book is like when I got in deeper. And then every day, GMK, 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 yeah. live action, uh, special effects. Well, who's an idiot on the set? Who's cool on the set? You know, so I don't think anyone's really written, even in Japanese, no one's written a book like this. Right. So I'm hoping it will be out. I mean, I, I originally it was planned to be released this time last year, mm -hmm. but yeah, we're having trouble with translating. Was taking a, a long time, and then now I have a new guy working on it now. I mean, and I really want to get this thing done with, and I want to do an English version because I've written it, you know, that would be awesome to be released in English as well. 
But who knows, you know, I mean, that's going to be another ball game um, have to get the photos approved. Um, does anyone really want to publish something like this? You know, I mean, I guess I could do a Kindle thing. I mean, the absolute worst would be a no photo Kindle version. <laughs> yeah. But in any case, uh, before I die, you know, because, you know, my I think my set stories, nobody knows them. You know, I mean, there, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or anything like that, but there's no other foreigner who's ever seen as much of the Godzilla set as I have. You know, even uh, what did the sound one of the um, this guy, uh, the sound man, um, Saito, he said to me, you know, Norman, I look at you and he's an old timer. He's retired now. He goes, you know who you are, Norman? You're the new Nick Adams. <laughs> and I said, well, I wouldn't go that far, but I appreciate, you know, <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. Because I guess, you know, Nick was the guy that was there the most yeah. for far. And he, he had a great relationship with, with everybody. Yeah, everyone, because yeah, I, know, I know guys, you know, the guys that worked on, say, GMK and those films, they also worked on, like, War of the Gargantuas and stuff. Like, the, the cameraman on, um, the cameraman on, I was saying before, on Space Godzilla and GMK, he, um, the live-action guy, he, his first gig was War of the Gargantuas. Are any you know, of like, the people from, like, that, who, like, I guess started off on those old films, are any of them still there? I would, I can't say no, you know, because look, it's been 11 years since yeah. the last one. I didn't go to the Shin Godzilla set at all. So I don't know. I worked on a movie last November, an American film, and one of the assistant cameramen worked on the um, Godzilla, the Shin Godzilla effects when they were using the suit. Because okay. I did see, I went, when I was at Toho, I saw the suit. How well? Well, that's a good question. Then is, I mean, obviously, do, like, do you do you think that that suit could have worked? Did it look better than what we got in the CG? Well, it was different. I mean, I don't really know. You know, I'm not privy to everything just because yeah. I'm here. You know, and people don't say, "Oh, we got to tell Norman England." Stuff. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, no, no, but. Something no one has ever said, you know. But I, of course, I do hear things. Um, but yeah, I mean, like for example, when I was working on this film, I knew the guy from the old days from GMK. He was he's a uh, part of the camera crew, and he showed me on his cell phone, you know, photos he had taken of Godzilla, the suit in front of the. Uh, he said everything was green screen, you know, and I guess. A decision was made that it wasn't working. Yeah, you know. And in the last hour, they they made all the CG stuff. So, I mean, I I can't say whether it was a a, a right decision or not. But mm-hmm. I know that there really there were no buildings built. You know, it was just a suit in front of a green screen, and I guess they just thought it didn't work. And the suit, have you? Well, you saw those leaked photos. Yeah, yeah. They were not my photos. I, I don't do stuff like that, you know, because, you know, you break this business is so small in Japan. You break the trust. You know, you're, you're yeah. And I make all my money from the movie business here. So I cannot um, bite my master's hands. If, if you know, mm-hmm. the Toho never gives me work. So, yeah. 
Although, actually, I did some work on the Godzilla animation thing that's coming up. So. Oh, okay. really? What, 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 what can you disclose? What you I did? cannot say anything. <laughs> okay. Except, I will say, I think it's the story's really good. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with the story. So, um, I think, I mean, and who knows? I mean, I haven't touched the thing in over six months, so it could have all changed. But the stuff that I worked on, I thought, you know, I thought was, you know, if you're going to do a Godzilla animation thing, this is the way you're going to do it. Okay. That's so that's about as much as I can say, because I'd like to, to do. Can you tell, even tell us what you did? I uh, just translation stuff. Just tra- Okay. Well, still, I mean, that's music to my ears. <laughs> so I, I had to translate the Bible, I guess, whatever. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the rule like, book or whatever. Well, all the characters and and the plot and the whole timeline and the whole thing and yeah no and I I I was like oh you know I mean that was a, a hell of a thing to to translate I mean that killed me doing that but no I I got the job because someone knew that I liked Godzilla so I they the a company hired me to do that for them and okay. then they were hired by Toho I mean that's how these things work. You know, for me, all of this stuff, because, you know, when I started working on movies, it was very exciting. I'm working on movies. And now, you know, and I started noticing with other people that it wasn't about what you were working on. It was just about your working. Yeah. If, what I'm saying. And I've become more like that. Like, I almost don't care what I work on right now. Yeah. You know, it's like even like if I get a Godzilla job or I'm doing like the Sailor Moon live action movie. You know, I loathe Sailor Moon. <laughs> you know, and I love Godzilla. But for me, when it comes to work, they're the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I actually do have a uh, Godzilla-related question. Um, did you, like, did you ever get to work close to, I'm sure I'm going to say his name wrong, but like y- Yoshida? Because I, I met him at Fandom Fest. I actually got to have uh, dinner with all the Godzilla actor, suit actors. And I was just kind of wondering, like, what your experience with the Godzilla suit actors was, or if you had any, like... Um, I mean, you, you obviously on the sets, but I didn't know if you got to spend time with them or not and just kind of what that was like. No, I spent a lot of time with my, uh, uh, Yoshida and Kitagawa. You know, Kitagawa's nickname is Tom, if you know that. Yeah. He calls himself Tom, if you look on that. But I gave him that name because he was calling – he gave me his business card and it said like – because it's uh, Tsutomu is his name. And he, he whittled that down to to Tom. I'm like, just call yourself Tom. And so he <laughs> uses that. Um, well, to, to talk about the suit actors, like my relationship with the suit actors, um, not not Satsuma and Nakajima, because I've met them before. Off the, and I got you wait till you read what I wrote in my book about those. I think it's pretty my Fangoria piece that I did on those guys. I mean, it's one of the most hysterical days of my life, these two guys. Anyway, um, uh, Kitagawa, I met on first on the set of Godzilla 2000. And this guy was like cool, very um, quiet, um, intense and stuff. And then Mega Giras, I did another interview with him. And he was still kind of like, I don't want to say standoffish. He's just kind of like serious. He was like in serious mode and stuff. 
Um, and then next was, of course, GMK. And then Yoshida came in. And Yoshida's like the friendliest guy you're going to want yeah, to meet. He's super, he's super awesome. You know, Yoshida's like the Godzilla suit falls off the stage. Um, he lands, you know, like, I mean, really crashing off the stage. And then everybody's like, are you okay? And then you hear from the suit, ha, 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 this guy laughing in the suit. You know, like, it was just completely in, in, incredible. And then we'd spend a lot of times, because like I said, the sets, it's like two shots a day. So basically how it, it goes on uh, Studio 9 is, you get there in the morning, you know, everyone drinks a shitty coffee. You say, Ohio gozaimasu, you know, good morning about 500 times to everybody. Um, and then, you know, you look at the the director will come over and say, okay, we're going to shoot this shot here. And then they drag a bunch of tables together. And then the art department starts working on it. And then the camera crew sets up with the, the angle and the art department builds the set. You know, and the suit actors just sitting around, you know, that's what I'm saying all day. They might go up before they really put the set on uh, on a bare stage. They'll go through the suit movement. That's when the suit actor is there. So the suit actor will go through the suit movement. They nail down the movement. Then they build the city around the Godzilla suit. And then now the suit actor is free, you know. And, and so for me, you know, being there like the interloper that I am, you know, it's like I'm taking photos and then I'm talking to people. So I spent a lot of time with Yoshida, um, just sitting, having coffee, talking about stuff, none, none of which I could, you know, 15 years ago, so I can't remember verbatim, like, wh what we were actually talking about. I, I wrote stuff down, and it'll be in my, the text of my stuff, but no, I mean, he was always like, I never saw the guy upset, I never saw the guy complain, and, you know, uh, suit actors never complain. I mean, that's a thing. You want to be a suit actor, you stop complaining. You cannot complain. It's just a thing that they do. Um, yeah, so he was always super friendly. And, you know, like you've seen the shots of me in the GMK suit. You know, I wore the film. Yeah, I did suit. see that. Yeah. And that was done a couple days after the wrap and before they did that coffee commercial, if you know what I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a UCC commercial that they shot on the set of GMK after it was wrapped. Okay, yeah, so I don't think of, I've seen that. You can see that online. Like, Ed sent me a link to it because I was on that day. And it's really funny because um, Kamiya, in the, when you see, it's like a UCC commercial, which is a, a canned coffee, and Yoshida, it features Yoshida, like being Godzilla you know, being tired and having to drink the um, drink the canned coffee to, to you know, re-energize himself. So it was all featuring Yoshida. No, it's really, it's a, it's a cute commercial. But what's so funny was Kamiya was doing some post-production stuff and couldn't be bothered. So the guy playing the director, and I'm putting quotes with my fingers, the director is um, uh, the action director i forgot his name on the gmk set so he played the director in it and he was doing like kamiya style direction on that piece but i wore the godzilla suit in between uh those a couple days later and yoshida was like apologizing i'm sorry 
it stunk like me. Like I'm the smelliest guy. Norman, how could you stand to be in that, like, you know, that sealed up with my stink in that? It didn't really smell that bad or anything like that. But no, you've been wearing it all summer long, you know, and yeah, I mean, and those things you sweat like crazy. I mean, I, when I wore the suit and I wore the suit like 10 minutes and I, God damn, I came out of that thing. I was like, I felt you ever, you know, when you, you, you're carrying something heavy, then you put it down and you feel really light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I felt like I was floating when I got out of the Godzilla <laughs> suit. You know, I mean, I could, it was, and then I went, when I got home at, that night, I was so exhausted. I fell asleep at nine, just 10 minutes in that suit. I mean, I'm not the most physically fit guy in the world, but I'm not that lame. Yeah, you right. know? <laughs> um, but anyway, Yoshida was always like really wonderful. And then the next year, you know, for Mechagodzilla, it's like Yoshida's not coming back, you know, because we're going back to the uh, Mega Giras crew, the Tezuka crew, you know, and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, Sky, um, Akitagawa, he's, he's so um, standoffish and cool and stuff. He turned out to be also like the nicest guy, you know, and, and we had so much fun together on the set. One of my favorite photos, though, I don't I want to put it in the book. I don't know if Toho will approve of it. But have you ever seen on the set? Sometimes they have like just a Godzilla head on a stand. Yeah. Yeah. Have you it's ever like seen a puppet thing? head. Is it the puppet? Yeah, head? It's like a, a puppet head. And they do that because they don't want to put the suit up, you know, so they put it up. It's like uh, just a marker where the suit will be. Um, so they put that up while well, maybe Wakas is like patching the suit or they're paint, painting some other stuff or, you know, they just don't need to have this big suit on the stand. So they have the head, the head is at the same height as the Godzilla suit. So that's where Godzilla's main position will be. So for Tokyo SOS, they made this fake Mothra out of styrofoam. And it's just hysterical. It's like this long, like, turd thing, white thing. I think they put markers for the eyes on the thing. So I took this great shot of Tom because he's a smoker. And, he's a, and a lot of people on the set are smokers. So Tom's, like, smoking on the set. And so I got this shot of, I'm like, let's do Godzilla versus Mothra. And I have Tom is, like, breathing his cigarette smoke on this white turd Mothra thing. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's the type of crap I pull on the set. So I get all these like really good like off color shots and stuff. No, so I, I like um, no. So Tom also turned out to be. I was teaching him English also, which was to no avail whatsoever. <laughs> but every day I would come in with like a new word or something for him, and he, he was making me do that. He asked me to do that, so I was doing that. And then he would bring his son sometimes, and I would really like. When the sets are moving really slow, and I would I would tease his son. It's like, Jesus Christ, this is taking forever. I want you to go up to the director right now and tell him to move his friggin' ass. And his <laughs> son was like this quiet, shy guy. He's like, I, I can't do that. Yes, you can. I, I is that okay? No, what? Huh? Because he's like this sixteen-year-old kid, if, if you know what I mean. So, but uh, yeah, just kind of busting his ass, but. You can see pictures of him on one of those where Tom gets his flowers at the end and his son is sitting there, standing there all like looking at the ground shy next to him. 
I mean, this is 10 years ago, so his son's got to be like 27 or something like that. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, both of those guys, just to, um, Matt, to answer your question, I mean, both of those guys, Yoshida is just the sweetest guy, and their personalities are very different. Um, Tom's a little quieter, because you've seen him in my um, Godzilla thing. Yeah, and that's another thing. When I did that Godzilla documentary, you know, like, especially like Wakas is in that and Shinata is not in that. And I probably have a better relationship than I do with Shinata than I do with Wakasa. However, when I did that Godzilla documentary, you cannot deny that when it comes to the Millennium series, you know, even if you like the GMK suit more than Wakas's suits, Wakas's work still defines, you know, the bulk of the Millennium series. Yeah, for so sure. There's no reason it would be it would be political for me to pick, you know, Shinada more than uh, Wakasa. And that's the thing I always strive for with my work is to have integrity with yeah, my work. Yeah. The fact is Wakasa is the Millennium Godzilla suit maker, and that's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. You know, GMK, Shinada's work was a one-off. Right, yeah. You know, there are it, things it, it I would, like it would, about... It would have been, if it, was, if it was included, it would have been like a weird uh, like footnote, almost. Right, right. I, I mean, I couldn't, and we couldn't, we didn't have an unlimited budget, you know, and I, I made sure I paid everybody. You know, Wakasa got some money, so-and-so got some money, whoever... You know, and, and my, if you want to talk about that now, I, I can talk about that. I mean, bringing that together because you want to talk about that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, I actually just rewatched it a few days ago, and um, it still holds up. Uh, the th there's been plenty of, I think, well, maybe not plenty, but there's been a, a, several English language documentaries about, you know, the, the kaiju genre and Godzilla. And a lot of them go into, you know, the history and, you know, the allegory with the with the bomb and all that but the thing about yours is yours was almost exclusively about the craft that goes into making these special effects and it, it really shines a light on how it's done the way it is why it's done the way it is and really giving everyone involved the the do that is kind of overlooked when people are just talking about well godzilla's stands for this and it came out of that um and uh it, it it holds up as i think probably the most educational documentary about godzilla um for those reasons um and i know it was a thing that grew out of you know ed and steve doing the features for for the 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 classic media dvds but how did you actually assemble you know the the crew, because I mean, it's it's an actual documentary film. It's got an editor. Um, uh, my editor Yasu, my editor, I know uh, Yasu Inoue. I mean, he's a fantastic editor. He he edits all my stuff. But he did New Neighbor. He did a re-edit of The Idol, and another film I did, which I will never show anyone. <laughs> um, but uh, no, Yasu's really great. I mean, Yasu did a lot of work. I, I, I mean, a lot of the quality of the film comes from Yasu's editing. You know, um, 
but anyway, I mean, basically, and I don't know if I said this on the Kaiju cast, I hate to repeat myself, but I mean, really how the whole thing came about was Ed, you know, Ed does uh, the commentaries and Steve does commentaries and they were going to do, they wanted to do something on Ino Ue to include his voice and the art director, Ino Ue. And I, 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 I have to give you, I have to pause you to give you mad props for showcasing him is like he's almost like like he is the the center of that documentary and he's kind of the unsung hero of that generation of special effects guys uh and like his and and just the fact that like he passed away not too long maybe a couple years after the documentary was released i went to i went to the funeral him and both his wife died before him i went to her funeral i went to his funeral you know no everybody like at his funeral money he gucci was there everybody was there you know and when they read like people who weren't there steve and ed you know they sent flowers and their name was i mean all these guys i mean these guys like Mike, they know steve and ed you know and and I mean, both of those guys are well respected in Japan. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a book that came out on Ino Ue's work, and one chapter of the book is dedicated to our film. You know, and more than me, it's like Steve and Ed are the, 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 the center of the whole thing. You know, because it's those are the guys that, you know, really made this happen, that brought attention to Ino Ue's um, contributions. You know, really, I mean, you know, of course... Uh, other people, you know, Tsuburaya and stuff like that. But I mean, a lot of this stuff comes down to the quality of the the craftsmanship, you know. And one of the things about Ino Ue, um, and Ino Ue is like, say, Mike, and not uh, director Mike, I mean, art director from, the, you know, Gamera series, Mothra, Godzilla, the new Shin Godzilla and stuff, uh, Shingeki, I mean, Attack on Titan. I mean, um, all of the, the work ethic for the art director was established by Ino Ue. You know, so Mike, like Mike's in my film, you know, he's doing those round table talks. And some of the other guys that were there when we did the simulation of the volcano eruption, I mean, I, when I go to those sets, they, those guys are there and it's a dying art, really. You know, and unfortunately, Shin Godzilla is also driving a nail. Godzilla, ironically, is almost driving a nail into the art form created by Godzilla by opting for CG, which I I don't want to get into it. But I mean, that boggles my mind that the fans don't see this. So, um, no, in a way, is an awesome guy, you know, and Steve said a funny thing to me. It's like. You know, when we got to know Inoue, it's like, you know, in his twilight, you know, he's a very sweet guy. And Steve's like, I bet this guy was the biggest son of a bitch on the set. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's listening to the other guy's stories about this guy. I mean, this guy did not compromise. You know, this is the guy who's like about to drill a hole in the ceiling for destroy all monsters because he wants the rocket to go a little higher. That's three. That's awesome. You know, I mean, this is like unheard of stuff, you know, and this is back from a time when Japanese were a little more um, forthcoming. You know, now everyone today, it's been like the bane since uh, uh, the bubble time of people being more like uh, personable, 
you know, and, and more bowing. That that generation, the the afterward generation, there were a, a lot, as far as Japanese go, you know, they were a lot more aggressive, you know. But no, but Inoue was, that's why when we, how this whole thing started was Ed and, because Steve doesn't come to Japan a lot. He's only been here twice, I think. And that was for the first time was for the shooting of uh, bringing Godzilla down to size. It's such an unwieldy title. Sorry, I didn't title it that. But, <laughs> but Ed and Brad Warner, they went over to Inoue's place. I don't know if I said this on Kaishiko. This is how this whole thing came about. They went over to um, Inoue's and they shot a handy cam interview with him. And Ed brought it back and he showed it to me. And, I, and he's like, I'm going to put this on you know, get the company to put it on one of their DVDs. And I said, unwatchable. You know, I, I look at it, I said, like, you know, do you want to do this? Because if you want to do this, we can do this. But, you know, if you think this is fine, I don't think it's fine. But if you think it's fine, it's fine. But if you don't think it's fine, let's talk. You know, so then Ed was like, okay. Um, oh, that sounds really good. I didn't think I could ask you. You know, I was like, you know, I because you know, Ed really likes my movie, The Idol, which I really I, and I think it's I think it's really good. Ed then talked to uh, what's the company that put that out? The Classic Media. Yeah. Ed managed to get a budget from Classic Media far below what these people are doing on Kickstarter. You know, so I got you know, I, I know crew people here. I hired professional people. Um, me, Ed and Steve, I mean, we worked on a script. I mean, those guys did the script. It was basically like this, what a director does, what a director does. Sometimes all directors rewrite the script, whether they're credited with it or not. But I mean, Kaneko does that all the time too. I learned that from Kaneko is he gets the script. I mean, sometimes he is credited with the script, but when he isn't, he still rewrites the whole thing. Cause he's the guy that's got to make it work, you know? So Ed and Steve, they write the whole script. I read the whole script. No, cut out this, cut out this, cut out this, you know, redo it this way. So it was like back and forth, back and forth on that until we had like a structure. And before that, we had to also, we made lists of who do we want to see in this um, and who we thought would have the strongest voice, like using the special effects director from the old days. His name is not coming to my mind right now. <laughs> um, Nakano? Yeah, uh, Nakano, uh, Nakano right, Nakano. I everyone corrected here, myself. Every, Did... Okay, everyone, <laughs> I in said the it business, wrong. everyone in the business calls him Shokei. Okay. So only only fans who don't know call him Nakano. I don't, that's his like nickname or something like that. So, you know, having him, because I've known him for a couple of years and he's a funny guy. Like he's a dry guy. I've seen him say, someone at an event asked him, why did you do this like huge explosion in one of these Godzilla films? He goes, well, really, all I wanted to see was what was the biggest explosion I could get away with in the studio? That was my purpose for that <laughs> shot. And he just says it so matter of factly, not like with any It's like, oh, this guy I really like this guy. He's got he's a funny guy. I mean, he's still around and stuff. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but. No, he's a good guy. Yeah, so basically it was like that. It was like it just really started out from Ed having this small idea and then me having I don't want to say the skill, but having the know how 
on how to make it more than just, yeah, two guys, you know, filming on a little handy cam, you know, in a way, just reminiscing and stuff. And I always wanted, you know, I wanted the film. Yeah, sure. The movie's about Godzilla, but it's also a movie. It's an entertainment film. I don't know if you've ever seen, but I watched before. There was a when the Superman movie came out. Yep. From yep, back. Then. Yeah. And there's um, a documentary, the Kevin Spacey one, the Kevin Spacey narration documentary. Do you ever see that? It's yeah. out on DVD. Yeah, it's US. called uh, Look Up in the Sky. Yeah, that thing is great. Yeah, it's really you know, good. I looked at. Yeah, I looked at it. I said, this is what I want my thing to be like. I don't have the budget for that. But this thing is so well done. And you don't even have to be into Superman to enjoy it. You know, so that was like the thing doing the Godzilla one. You know, I wanted it to be something that, of course, people with an interest in film would find would get something out of it. You know, I didn't want it to just be for the fans. Because really, screw the fans, you know, because they're never satisfied. <laughs> right. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> you know, and even that, like, after this, it's like, it's like, guys, I met people here. Oh, I love your film. But I was disappointed with it. You know, like, you didn't do anything on the music of Godzilla. And it's like, did you really watch my movie? I mean, you know, there's nothing about the music whatsoever. <laughs> right, it's not about you know. That at all. I mean, I don't have another hour to get into this thing. Is like I didn't want the thing to be, you know, a three hour for the fans, and only a fan could make it through. You know, even when I wrote my Fangoria stories, my mom would buy my first stories. You know, until it became I wrote so much Fangoria stuff. There's no point. But I always wrote it like I want my mom to be able to get to the end of this article. I think that's part of why it works so well. Now, how did you guys get Alex Cox involved is my big that was, question. That was all Steve. Like, you did know, he were, know him? I, I I don't know how that I, – I really, I don't know how I, I know up, Alex was, Cox is a fan. I've seen him on other documentaries about Godzilla, and I know he wrote, like, one of the runs in the Dark Horse comics. So – but it's just how you got the director of Repo Man to narrate your documentary is 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 pretty incredible. I think. Yeah, no, I, I I'm I, originally we were going to get George Takei to do it. That would have been then, awesome as well. Yeah, that would have been awesome. He has a connection, you know. He did what Rodan, I think, and uh, Godzilla raids and again. Yeah. Right, right, and he had just come out on Hero Heroes, that TV show, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, his like manager's asking price life was like our entire budget. Yeah, it just it was like I think ten thousand dollars or something. I mean, I'm just picking a number, but it was something like, oh, that's impossible, you know, for uh, you know narrating this thing. So unfortunately, I mean, I'm the hugest Star Trek fan, but no, I'm, I mean, Alex did a great job. Um, and when I, I didn't, uh, I, you know, of course I wasn't there cause that was all done in LA or not in LA. Steve was there. The Steve wasn't there, but Steve was there through the internet listening in and, and Steve did like the direction on that. So I didn't, I didn't deal with that, but Alex, I mean, as a director himself and, you know, and listening to it, I mean, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And what I did was we had like some email discussions. So I told him the tone that I wanted for, you know, what, you know, I can't read. I probably had the email somewhere, but it was like, you know, the sense of wonderment, uh, the sense of discovery, 
um, you know, play with your voice, you know, keep your voice, you know, engage the audience, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And but it was like my first email to him was like, um, uh, you know, dear Alex, uh, thank you very much for accepting this job. Um, Repo Man, one of my favorite films. I quote it like every other day. <laughs> okay, now that that's out of the way. <laughs> no, it was, no, because I was, I mean, I love, you know, I love, I love all his movies. I mean, Repo Man is the classic. Oh, Repo Man's great. Were you into like the punk scene at all in New York? Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> like, so. were you into like the, the, like, did you get into like the hardcore scene or like? No, I, I'm more of a, like, I'm a Clash guy. Okay. I'm a Clash guy. I'm more into more politically motivated stuff and not really just like a, th- I'm not a big thrasher guy, okay. if that's that's yeah. what you mean. But I mean, my band, I played CBGBs like a hundred times. The thing I like about like punk music, and I, and I don't even like that term, punk music, but the thing I like about Clash is it's a political awareness, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it's uh, addressing issues that I think yeah. are in, that need to be addressed, that need to be looked at and stuff. And then the hip hop to me, well, of course, there is politically motivated hip hop. That's I mean, like kind of all... where it started and then it morphed into. I don't know what you call it now. <laughs> well, just, you know, um, it's all about me. Type right. Of stuff, yeah. You know look how awesome I am. And the music became like the soundtrack for your own personal awesomeness, you know? So it really fits the uh, narcissism of, of, you know, today or today, what's been going on since the late nineties, really, and just increasing and increasing, you know, and it's really coming to a head right now. This is one of the reasons why I'm so hard on everything. You know, when I write these reviews is because I don't want to get, I think people have gotten too soft on, they're on garbage, you know, that, I mean, look, and this is one of the things that, that they're talking about. Why, why did Trump win? And one of the reasons that he won is because the, the left was not hard enough. Even they were laughing at Trump. Yeah. You know, they were laughing at Trump. Look at how ridiculous this is. They weren't doing, and that's why they're saying now, and I don't want to sound like, you know, man, I know what's going on. But it was like, are you frigging people nuts? I mean, this is what the Tea Party people have been doing. The Tea Party people are, um, I don't want to say they're morons, but they, are, they come from a moronic place. You know, they're, 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 they're ignorant opinions. However, they mobilized. You know, they mobilized into this nonsense, you know, seeing enemies that don't really exist or having their own vision of a singular vision of what America should be. But anyway, I mean, even like going to Godzilla, you know, Godzilla for me, one of the things I like about say original Godzilla, it was always about something, you know, those are for me, the, there's different kinds of Godzilla's GMK was about something, Mm -hmm. you know, GMK was also, you know, some people try to make it out like, Oh, you know, GMK is this another nationalistic film. You know, and it's like it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, that was one of like my favorite lines in that film is when like Tachibana and the other guy, the military guy, they're in the ship. And he says what the job of the military is keeping the peace. Is that something he says something like that? You know, like yeah. the when, when the military goes to war, um, it's like failed its job. I mean, that's the idea behind that, you know, that. 
And I, that's a thing me and Kaneko always talk about. And that was like kind of like one of my inputs. You know, I would always say to Kaneko, when your country goes to war, it means your government's failed to do its job. Because one of the jobs of the government is to keep you out of war, not in war. So anytime for me, when, the, when we go to war, it's like you guys have, have not fucking done your job, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So that was something like that's an idea that's in GMK that I, I feel partly responsible for. But that movie isn't about protecting Japan or Japanese for Japanese like Shin Godzilla is. You know, that 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 movie is about, um, you know, GMK is and it's not even about forgetting the sacrifice of the war. It's forgetting the ramifications of the war. You know, for like shitty policies, you know, anti anti people policies that led to the destruction of Japan. Do you think Kaneko was getting at something like saying the Japanese have forgotten their own atrocities of the war? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that. I mean, that's like. Do, do his... you think that's an issue he would have been able to address more overtly if Japan didn't have the kind of, I guess, I don't want to He say wanted f- to put it, let me tell you, he wanted to put more stuff in. Yeah. He wanted to have Godzilla smash Yasukuni Jinja, you know, with all the class A. He wanted to have Godzilla step on that. And it was like, no, we can't. The Toho's like, no way. <laughs> you know, so he wanted to have more stuff that would have been more obvious. But then, you know, the movie came out and then you had like, and some of the subtitles I think were fucked up. Oh, the, the Sony like, subtitles were awful. They're terrible. Okay. Yeah. For example, the Korean guy who yells, you're all going to die, you know, when the, the army's in Yokohama going over. He's actually saying, what, is it good luck or? No, he's saying, like, good luck. Yeah. And that guy is a Korean guy. And maybe you've heard me say this before, but that guy's point was if the cause is just, even foreigners will support the Japanese military. And no one, that's a thing I freaking hated about Shin Godzilla. No one would fault the Japanese for shooting at this giant creature wrecking their city. I mean, where does that come into breaking, you know, Article 9 or anything? That's, they're called a self-defense force. This is a, it's like if there's a wild gorilla loose, no one's gonna, gorillas are lovable creatures. Let's say a, a grizzly bear is running through the city. No one's gonna be like, Prime Minister, what do we do? Prime Minister, make a decision. They're going to just shoot the fucking thing, you know? <laughs> That's what I was like. What, what is this movie really about? You, you understand what I'm saying, you know? And that's why, I mean, GMK was a pacifist version of Godzilla. You know, it was, uh, it was, yeah, about let's not forget how fucked up war is. And people are becoming, you know, complacent, leading themselves onto a path that could return back to a military Japan. That's the thing a lot of people don't really get. Like that guy wrote that book, Godzilla, on my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and Sorry, uh, talk, talk about getting GMK <laughs> wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that book gets a lot of things wrong, and it that drives me crazy that it's like held in such high regard. People actually think that's a good book. I can't even. Ugh. Oh yeah, he's he shows up at conventions. He speaks about like it's. He gets a lot wrong. <laughs> could, do, you, do you think uh, Kaneko could actually make GMK now? 
Like, could he can he make the movie and have a similar message, or would it be too difficult? I'd probably say it's too difficult. I mean, I'll say another A-list director friend of mine. I had dinner with him recently, and he was going to make a war movie at Toho, and it was on the books for like a while. He was developing it. And as he was researching it, he discovered that one of the guys that led the attack on Pearl Harbor became a Christian afterwards. And then he went around, he started uh, criticizing the Japanese military. He went around the world meeting people, spreading Christianity, and also trying to make amends for what he had done. And he wanted to include this point of view. And they were like, no. And then finally it got the film got replaced and then they released that zero fighter film that Yamazaki directed, which is the biggest movie of the year. Um, the year before two years now, now two years ago in, in 2015, you know, and it's like, you know, my friend was just like, well, that, you know, it's something Mark Schilling said to me and I, I love to, to use it as my own quote, but, um, nobody ever lost money being nationalistic in Japan. Do you, you think that's what why I mean. movies like um, uh, Shin Godzilla and Higuchi's Sinking of Japan, do you think that's why they were so huge, because they do have more of a, a, a nationalistic slant? or Because, I mean, I think all of us, whether we like Shin Godzilla or not, we want a Godzilla movie to be successful. We want the, the, the brand to, ma- to maintain its popularity, but... How much of it do you think was Godzilla, and how much of it do you think was that attitude that the movie portrayed? Or oh, they totally had because this. Okay, the thing with Shin Godzilla that annoyed me a lot was people saying, like the quote that you saw the most often was people saying, "I felt proud to see that movie." You know, after seeing Shin Godzilla, I felt uh, pride of Japan. I was like, "What does that have to do with Godzilla?" You know, I mean, you know, whatever. I see Star Wars. It's like, oh, God, I feel pride to be an American or I mean, what movie Avengers or Captain America. But even I mean, maybe maybe a little bit in um, uh, my brain, Uh, the you know, the 97, the Emmerich film Um, Independence Day, Independence Day. Okay, they had a little bit of that speech, you know, the Americans like pulling everyone together, you know, here we are with a German director, you know, making this kind of, so it was kind of almost like a, a, a joke on that. And the new, you know, Independence Day resurgence, I don't know if you guys saw that. I probably not hate seen it. it. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It was just like a B movie, like insane B movie. Um, but I mean, what they tried to do in that was it now, I think he tried to fix that speech. So it was all inclusive. It was just about humanity and nothing to do with the United States, you know? So, and of course the Japanese are always 20 years behind the time. So that speech at the end of Shin Godzilla is basically (laughs) their version of the president's speech in the first independence day. That's all that that is. Cause I know those guys. I mean, I know Ano just a little, little bit, but I know he Gucci and he loves those. He loves independence day. Mm-hmm. You know, and he wants to do that. 
type of stuff. And he wants to do that thing. So that they did it. But of course, you know, the Japanese, when they do it, it's always this kamikaze, weird, um, you know, all or nothing. Because that's the thing, what I was saying, I was touching on before, there's this feeling that, you know, it's like standing around and you don't want to be seen as the person giving the least effort. So the feeling builds and builds until it gets into the fanatical range. No, this this kind of piggybacks on it. Matt, I know you wanted to talk to Norman more specifically about, I guess, the we kind of touched on it with GMK, but just Ishiro Honda's films in particular, like something like Atragon compared with Shin Godzilla. Do you remember what you're, more specifically what you wanted to say about that? The thing, like, say, talking about Honda in a movie like Atragon, which I really haven't seen in, like, 30 years. You owe it to yourself to watch it again. I know. Probably it's good. At a time like this, it sounds like you could use it. But, you know, but that's the thing about why I thought Shin Godzilla was wrongheaded was because, you know, Godzilla, to me, the first Godzilla was not about right or wrong. Who is right? Who is wrong? Is it a justified war? Is it not a justified war? It was just about, this is what war does to people. This is the impact of war. That's what the movie was. Like, whose fault is it? Who gives a crap? Because when you're out walking around rubble, it's not like, you know, oh, them terrorists, look what they've done. You know, just dealing with the aftermath of something, of politicians' decisions, you know? To me, that's what the uh, first Godzilla, the main point, you know, what he's showing in that film, you know, and, you know, Shin Godzilla, the whole thing was I was being manipulated into wanting to support, you know, get him, get him. And I never felt that way. The military is in every Godzilla film, but they're just there like a cop on the corner. You expect a cop to come when someone's robbed a place, you know? No one's going to accuse the cops of being a a nationalistic uh, tool or something like that. So it's the way these things are used, you know. And I really I don't think Honda would be pleased because I think Honda would be able to see the the deeper meaning of the film, you know, and to get it. You guys covered it completely. I mean, the deeper meaning of the film is that, you know, it's the new nationalists. It's like, let's make let's act as if we're being critical of the government by attacking the old guard. But we're draining the swamp here and we're replacing them with the true new patriots who have an honest, you know, untainted love for the the country. I'm like, like, what the hell is this a Godzilla movie I'm watching? (laughs) You know, and yeah, no, but it's what's this is what the audience here buys into it because it makes them feel good. It's it's the Japanese equivalent of a feel good movie, and, and you know, and where like the thing is like, where is the love on the U.S. soil coming from? Is it coming from the fact that they're not over there and they don't see? Okay, well, I'll, I'll say it, it's like this: it, it, there's always this like fan contingency that you know Japan is the promised land. You know, Japan is this you know, wonderful place, you know, and, and I'm going to live in Japan until I die, unless I hit the lottery and I'm moving right back into Manhattan. 
<laughs> which is not going to happen because I don't play the lottery. However, I plan to be here. I plan to work here. You know, I have to get along with this place. But that doesn't mean that I have to, like, you know, fall over myself and be apologetic for I, I see that on on my Facebook. Like there's a woman who will never listen to this. She, she writes books on Japan. And recently some there's these lists that come out, not from the U.N., but one is some economic zone. And they're like they just released a thing about women's statuses around the world. And Japan keeps on falling you know, like women in the workplace, equality and stuff. And this woman wrote this post on her Facebook. Oh, you know, Japanese, they tell foreigners what they want to hear. And besides, the men are also equally low status. And I, I, I was completely, how can you, as a woman, you know, Japan is the most sexist place I've ever seen in my life. I mean, every time we go outside, me and my girlfriend, it's just images of women in bathing suits. And there's a big thing. I want to put it up on my Facebook. And in, in, right in Shinjuku, where there's like a million women a day literally see this, it says, like, women should be seen and not heard. Holy and you can buy, and you can buy your you can buy your fashions here. It's a fashion ad. Like, a, women, a woman's job is to look good, you know, is what it says. That's and it's like there's a there's a serious problem here, you know, uh, of sexism in Japan. It's one of the reasons I'm I'm not into idols or anything any longer. I used to be. I'm not into it anymore because now I see it, you know, as a sexist thing, it's, and it's pervasive, you know, and it it it's influential. There are these foreigners who who want Japan to be something it's not to them. You know, it's, it's, you know, and, and they don't have to deal with it, you know, for them. So it's like you go on vacation. If I went to Italy I'd, and I didn't get mugged or anything like that, I probably think it was the greatest place in the world because everyone's nice to me because I'm a foreigner. You know, you know, but dealing with a place, living in this place is a very different type of thing. But I feel sometimes like my opinion gets dismissed because I'm like spoiling the fun you know, sorry if I'm spoiling Japan for you. You know, that's your problem. It's not my problem. And they talk about Japanese people as if it's like, you know, a singular object, the Japanese people. You know, Japanese people do it to themselves, too. They have a thing they say, like, wari wari nipponjin, we Japanese. I would never say we Americans unless I was talking about, like, hamburgers, you, you, you know. <laughs> But um, no, I mean, they do it to themselves as well, you know. Um, so but I think like a lot of foreigners, they're like, you know, when they do those things like how to watch Shin Godzilla or <laughs> um, the deeper meaning of Godzilla. And it's like it's like they want to like the Fukushima stuff, you know, like I just want to hug the Japanese people and, you know, that like tree hugger stuff. But except instead of trees, it's like Japanese people because they've got this weird, you know, sexually charged attraction to Japan and they're going to deny it. But that's like <laughs> a lot of these loser guys. I mean, it's 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 they're responding to their adolescent views of sexuality. Japan is man that, you know, that's a big part of Japanese culture is that this place is so sexually charged. Like when me and my girlfriend, she had never been to America. We went to New York. She was so what relaxed to not have to look at 
pictures of idols day in and day out, like everywhere. They're staring at you, beautiful people. So I think, I don't want to say like Shin Godzilla apologists or anything like that. I mean, like, yeah, like Bird, like you said, if they like it, fine, whatever. But if you're going to start seeing things that don't exist in this film, it's not about Fukushima, you know? If it's Fukushima got, gets lip service, no, then that's it, it. it. Yeah, it gets... There are imagery that comes from the Fukushima thing, but it really doesn't have anything to do with Fukushima. And the film is also, like all Ano stuff, it's criti- it criticizes the people a lot. Like in the scene when suddenly now the Godzilla's disappeared and now the government has to deal with the aftermath and the people have soon forgotten, you know, what happened. And he's there praying on his own. I mean, like, are you manipulating me into thinking this guy's like a good, a solid guy? I mean, I don't think he's a bad guy, but I mean, this is manipulative and stuff. And the, and the fans, they want so much to be like, I get the Japanese people. I was like Japanese in another life. And they're so <laughs> desperate to, you know, like, I, I get it that they don't get it. If you, if you know what I'm saying, you know, they're not seeing further into it and i don't want to name names because i could name names of people that i actually like as human beings but i have to draw the line because i think they're too apologetic you know they're too much and they they're selling japan to these people and that's a thing like i do not i do i'm not here to make money off of japan i'm here to make money off of my work you know i'm not selling an image of Japan that does not exist. Like if my Godzilla book ever comes out, you will see me criticize um, the sets a lot. But I also want it to be fun and informative, you know? But it's not beyond. I can criticize myself daily, you know? So I'm not... These people, I can't... And I hate to even say, like, these people, because I'm not saying they're not, like, bad people or anything like that. I just think they're not informed. And they don't want to be informed. Because they want Japan to be something, you know, yeah, like I said, the promised land for them, the otaku country. Everyone's wacky over there, crazy Japan, you know, and they don't realize why this craziness, this crazy aspect, why are these sushi typhoons so off the wall? It's because these people are so repressed and they have to, they can only find these completely insane things to kind of balance out the stress that they feel inside of them every single day, every waking moment. I mean, it's like, like being gay in Japan is like completely out of the question. So unless you are like completely zany, like, so you get these like completely effeminate people like cross-dressers on TV and everybody um, they can show this aspect of themselves if they do it in a completely over-the-top way. That's so if you, under, if, if you understand what I'm saying, that's why you see all this crazy Japan stuff. Because it's the only way... Um, like, if you're a normal guy and you do something wrong in a normal way, people will really cut you a new one. But if you're like kind of a wacky guy with this wild personality and you do something really wild, people just like, that's who he is. You know, so some people have figured it out that that's how you can get away with crap in Japan. 
And that's I'm, the reason I'm, I'm going in this tangent is because that's why you see all this crazy Japan stuff. And then the fans just think it's because the Japanese are so like free and so wild. But this stuff comes from a very repressed place.